that some people say narcissism is and this aggressiveness and this self-centeredness and self-servingness actually uh, it's for some people helps them to succeed there's also a narcissism that is dysfunctional that causes people to be failures but there's also part of it that makes us successful i guess yeah well the the sign of our times however is that people are being successful in many ways that the world deems uh to be all that people with the most disturbed most seriously disturbed malignantly narcissistic character are succeeding in the ways that the world seems to want to define success so there, there really are very few incentives less to, to be decent now i've heard i've seen in the chat some people talking about the fact that they have not needed um to be particularly coached and being decent that it seems natural folks who have some natural personality trait endowments like a high capacity uh, a high uh, capacity for empathy so to speak and for um uh the trait that confers upon us a high degree of uh conscientiousness folks who have been uh, endowed with those traits naturally seem to fairly naturally evolve a decency of character without that much coaching. Mm -hmm. But that's not true for everybody. Some of us need a lot of coaching to be of good character. So what, what we have to stop doing is we have to stop saying to ourselves, well, this is the way I am, so why can't everybody be like that. We we tend to want to overgeneralize based on our own experience and then and what our it's our ego talking. What our ego says is, see, I know the answer. I know how it should be. When there's not really the humility to admit that there's just so much we don't. And if we don't honestly reckon and humbly reckon with ourselves about ourselves and with each other about each other we might not make it and we might not be destined to make it there's a huge universe out there outside of us where <laughs> the james webb tele uh, telescope is telling us that even what we thought we knew with the last with the hubble is just a pittance of how many worlds there are out there, you know? We might be just one of those evolutions that is destined to be on the ash heap of evolutionary history. So if we want to make it, we need to get humbly honest with ourselves, about ourselves, and with each other, about each other. Get to know, really know, who we are, what we're capable, the good of, capable of, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, then we might just have a chance. So let's um, bring Peter in. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Peter. Um, Hi. Hello, Peter. Thank you for being on the show. 
Oh gosh, thanks for thanks for doing this. It's obviously a great deal of of, of difficulty. Uh, I was wondering what you think of Robert Hare the, and his, uh, his his views on political political psychopaths. You know, I don't know that much about his views. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, the terms that we use today um, they they have been bandied about a bit loosely. Mm. For example, psychopaths, sociopaths, uh, they've lost their original meanings. Um, but I, I do think that we have more and more severely disturbed characters gravitating toward politics because of what it offers in the way of power and money, mostly power. People of people of um and the heart of psychopathy the heart of psychopathy is predatory capacity we are the only species that has within our population <laughs> individuals who want to prey on their own kind mm -hmm. uh, no other species does that Psychopaths are nature's only known intraspecies predators. And um, so folks like that naturally gravitate toward power. They, they seek it ravenously. They seek it for its own sake, and you can count on them to abuse it when they get it, which is why it's on us to never afford it. And there are some telltale signs about these kinds of folks. There are some telltale signs. I can remember, uh, you know, I, I say I just don't want to get personal or uh, oh, perhaps offend, but I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I can remember in the early days of the Trump campaign, mm -hmm. at some rallies, folks witnessing some stuff coming out of his mouth and some nonverbal behavior, and you could hear the gasps. You could see people turning to one another and saying, my God, did he just really do that? Did he just really say that? Oh, my God. And yet, by the end, they were applauding and championing. That's on us. You can't blame the psychopath for trying when he's got such a willing prey. Go ahead, Peter. The, the thing I noticed about Trump is, is that he never stops talking. He yeah. has a low, monotonous kind of just a just a rant, just kind of a little rant that he goes constantly. He never he, when he's making a speech, he never has he never pauses for anybody to ever reflect or anything. He just keeps talking. He's actually kind of hypnotizing people, also, I think. That's exactly right. I think the more dangerous type than Trump, and he's dangerous because of his lack of capacity to care and his, and his complete fixation on as much power as he can get, he's dangerous. But what I think is even more dangerous is the mesmerizing power that true charmers have. The, the, the ones who appear enlightened and who appear genuinely to have your best interest at heart mm 
I think they're even more dangerous because we are so willing to turn ourselves over. We're so willing okay. without making them prove their character. Thank you, Peter. Oh, thank you. Um, now, let's have um, Jeff. I saw some questions in the chat that I'd like to get to. Um, Jeff, I know you, I think you just came in, right? I, have you been here for the whole show? You want to, yeah, you want to make, go ahead and unmute yourself. You don't want to ask a question? You have to unmute yourself. Oh. Okay. Did I? Now I can hear you now. I was just going to say, um, are you guys going to keep talking about Trump? The guy doesn't even have an office right now. He's not even in power. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, we were talking about Trump as an example of oh. what we're looking at. Not okay. so much about that. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, now, I, we have. And some, that's why I said I hated to even use the example. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this Eric asked, um, is this the, our behavior the result of our genes? And I know one of the things you said in your book is that we have gifts that that. And you talked about some people who are maybe more naturally good than other people. And yeah. we, but, well, but some we, some folks have a, a have an endowed capacity for greater empathy. We we know this. We we know, unfortunately, that a lot more things are conferred with the DNA than we thought. And empathy capacity is one of those things. So when 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 you have somebody that has high empathy capacity. You don't have to put as much energy into developing that empathy uh, in them because they have a natural high empathy capacity. Now, there are those individuals, uh, especially uh, folks tending to be psychopathic, who, who lack not only the capacity, but may be absent the capacity altogether. And for them, the research suggests that you can try to teach it uh, all day long, and they're not going to... Uh, learn it. As a matter of fact, they might even become better predators. Uh, so, you know, uh, and, and some folks have a natural endowment to be more, conscien uh, more conscientious. They develop what we call their, uh, their moral conscientiousness or uh, social awareness more easily. It comes more naturally to them. Um, for some of us, it takes a lot longer, and it takes learning a, a whole lot more lessons uh, to develop that level of uh, social awareness and care. Um, so things aren't so simple, and we're all individuals. Um, but what we're witnessing right now is that most of the people who probably shouldn't have power do. And that's why the gap among us is widening in so many areas between rich and poor, haves and haves not, have nots, those with power and those without, the gap is widening. And if anything, the best times this country has enjoyed have been the times when the greatest thriving was not at either extreme. It was in the middle where there was so much 
not just economic prosperity, but prosperity in a lot of other ways for the greatest number of folks. Uh, those were our great, those were our best times. And unfortunately, uh, right now they're bygone times. Yeah. Sometimes, and Tricia is asking a question here in the chat, and I just wanted to add, sometimes I look at pictures of criminals, you know, you get these criminal stories, and I look at their eyes, I look at their expression, I look at their face, and I, I imagine that I'm seeing things, there's talk about the psychopathic stare or sociopathic stare. Is there, Tricia asks, is there an observable body language that would reveal a character uh, disturbance? Yeah, in the I wish it were that simple. You know, Gavin DeBecker wrote the landmark book, The Gift of Fear. And he talked about this hair on the back of your neck kind of raising um, experience that many of us who have the gift, it's a gift, it's an intuition. Uh, when you have that gift and uh, you sense that there's a predator in your midst, I, I had a personal experience with this uh, once doing a workshop uh, over in Greece, uh, a workshop that I was attending. And I knew that I was in the pre presence of somebody who had probably done some really awful things because this person made the hair on the back of my neck stand up just being in their presence. It wasn't just the look, it was the energy coming from the person. And then later found out some truths that, that proved that, that that uneasiness was warranted uh, because there was a behavioral history to go along with it. But it's not always that clear. And when you talk about the eyes and the, um, and, and, and the gaze, Boy, I, I, what I found in my work is that that's not a reliable indicator mm -hmm. because the eyes can reveal interest, but they can't regard, they can't reveal regard. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of reasons why somebody can be interested in you. And there are a lot of reasons why somebody can find value in you. And so just because they look upon you favorably does not mean that they will treat you or anybody else favorably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's a, some of them are charming and you know, like cult leaders can be very charming and very deceptive. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and 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 some are, um, some just are bizarre. And sometimes I, you know, those photos that are in the news are often the, uh, the photo they took at the uh, jail, and oh. I can see things in there. But I often think that maybe I'm just seeing, you know, arrogance in their eyes or, um, something like that. Yeah. You know, the in the in excuse me, in psychology within the realm of what we call neurolinguistic programming, there's an axiom uh, that you can't not communicate. And uh, we human beings are creatures of communication, but about 90% of our communication is nonverbal. Mm -hmm. So 
we're always saying something with our body posture, with our movements, with our facial expressions, with how we respond to the actions of a crowd and how we follow up and how we capitalize what we call micro behaviors. So one of the things, <laughs> as a therapist, this is one thing that I learned very early on in the difference between dealing with a, just a troubled person who really just needed some help and support and a, a character impaired person who needed a whole lot of different things than that. Uh, one of the things I learned is they trained us in psychology to be good listeners. But when it comes to artists of impression management, you can't listen. If, if you start listening, they will hook you. They will hook you. You need to do much more observing. <laughs> uh, observing all the little micro behaviors and especially how they relate to others, including how they relate to you. You want to make your judgments based on behavior not on public. So it looks like we're running out of questions, but I, one more thing here. You know, there's the story of the crowds calling for Jesus's execution. And sometimes there's this idea that there's sort of a mob behavior, a behavior of groups of people that individually people might not do certain things, but when they're part of a large group or a large crowd, they get caught up in the 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 whatever it is, and they do terrible things. Yeah. Well, you know, I wasn't there, and we only have the fourth and fifth hand accounts of people uh, who said that somebody said that somebody said that somebody said what happened. So. I only know one truth about that whole scenario, and that is this. And I think people like Martin Luther King demonstrated this in the 20th century. People of really, really, really good character in our culture, in our times, in our broken world, they get crucified. That's mm -hmm. the only truth I know. Wow. We have one more question, it looks like. Elizabeth. Um, let me um, add you to the spotlight here. Go ahead and unmute. I know you wanted to ask your question earlier. Um, well, it's not so much a question, but an observation, two observations. I don't know about empathy being inborn or not, but I do know from working with children, I'm also a licensed psychologist, children in foster care who've had a really rotten beginning, abuse, neglect, how can they develop empathy? Oh my unless you unless you receive empathy, you can't develop empathy. If you don't have anything to eat, it's hard to feel sorry for somebody else who doesn't have anything to eat. But the other thing is, I had hopes that this would talk. This meeting was going to talk to something about what we might do to wake up the, uh, I hate the word, even a non-word, MAGA crew, to see what they're supporting that's yeah. not not in their best interest. Because I, I do think the majority of Americans are good people. Maybe not great people, we all have our flaws. But to help these people who are so deluded, 
that they think this, I call him the former squatter in the White House, is going to ever do anything for them. If you don't mind, and I really appreciate what did you what you said there about um, developing empathy, especially in those who uh, really have been set back on their path by their unfortunate circumstances. Um, but as therapists, I'm going to say from personal experience, and this is something I just drill into all my professional training workshops. We were trained to help people who didn't see to see. And that's not the problem of our time. We have people who see, but disagree. So wasting our time and energy, trying to get them to see differently is an exercise in futility. And besides which, there's a great axiom that I truly believe in, and that is, it's a lot more efficacious, as a psychologist, you understand that term, it's a lot more efficacious to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new act, a way of acting. So what needs to change is not so much our thinking, that will change, and our hearts will change along with it. But what needs to change is our behavior and where we have power is starting right here. We lead by example. We stop looking there and we start looking here and we start doing more. We do the loving. We do the loving we expect and more of it. And it catches. It's catchy. Uh, a really, really noble behavior is catchy. It's like a magnet. We're looking in all the wrong places. We're not going to change anybody's mind. We're not, therapists make this mistake in the therapy room too. We think we're going to be that person who puts things so succinctly, so beautifully, so poetically that they say, oh my goodness, I never even thought of that before. Oh, my whole life is different. And, and it was those words that changed my whole life that rarely rarely ever happens and i think it's a it's a it's a um it's a misdirection of time and energy we have incredible power to make all the changes we want ourselves now there's one thing and i, I want, really want to appreciate having another psychologist come on and make a comment that that really helps elevate the discussion one of the things you said in your book though is that these people need not empathy but confrontation and a change in their thinking so how does that relate to what you just said well it's it the change we know that what a person thinks about something and the, their frame of mind their attitudes, we know that that influences behavior. We know that. But the way to get the change of thinking is through the change in behavior. And that's where the art of what I talk about in my books, the art of benign confrontation comes into play. I know hundreds of people, they contact me every day, who have experienced this phenomenon we call therapy-induced trauma. They went for help. They, they managed to cajole their character-disturbed relationship partner into a session or two. And then the person is so good at the art of impression management and dodging issues and doing this, the, uh, especially the positive impression management, 
that the aggrieved party feels bad all over again. And not only that, if the counselor adopts a kind of a systems approach where they see everybody as having an equal uh, role in maintaining the dysfunction, um, they feel even worse. So one of the things that's absolutely necessary is in the encounter, in the here and now, if change is ever going to take place, it takes place in the here and now. Once you, beginning, once you begin to set what I call the terms of engagement, the rules of operation, and once you encourage more pro-social behavior and discourage less antisocial behavior in the here and now, that's when attitudes slowly, incrementally have a prayer of changing. That's when the thinking starts to get, when you interrupt that excuse as it's being made, and it becomes clear that that isn't going to fly. You don't have to say, oh, you're making an excuse. You need not do that. They already know that. But when you interrupt it and you reinforce otherwise, then things become to begin to change, including the thinking. So it's not that I'm contradicting myself. The thinking and the attitudes do need to change. The question is, how? How does that happen? And it starts with behavior. It doesn't end with behavior. The thinking doesn't change first, and then the behavior changes. It's the vice versa. Behavior changes, and then thinking changes. That's right. Now, one of the things that... Which is why, which is, by the way, which is why all um, sages throughout time, whether they've been in religious traditions or not, have always had behavioral advice to give. It's always been about do this. Take the time, know your body, practice meditation, whatever. It's all about the behavior first. The mind becomes expanded. The heart begins to open. You do, and then it happens. Hmm. I, wish, I wish I could visit with every therapist on the planet to get that through. Because <laughs> hmm. we waste so much time and energy trying to get people to see what they already see. I have a response to Elizabeth's questions, which we're talking about a little bit next um, meeting, but we know that the mega group or the right is being manipulated by false propaganda and lies and all of that. But I think it might be a little naive to think that we are not also being manipulated by falsehoods, lies, attempts to rile us up, divisive tactics, um, profiteering, pro political entrepreneurism. It, and part of what we need to do is recognize, because I think we contribute to the problem when, and religion might be an example. It's pro-Christianity or anti-Christianity or no Christianity in politics or yes to Christianity in politics, I think is a false choice that we're being fed and we're being fed misinformation about the Constitution and the separation of church and state so that we end up with people who think you're against Christianity. But we could be 
totally Christian and use scripture and correct those people. I tell the people, they use scripture inappropriately. And what we need to do is correct them, not to say, no, stop using Christianity. That just contributes to the division. Do you have something to say on that, Elizabeth? Yes, I can't stand that phrase, particularly Christian nationalists. They're not Christian and they're not nationalist. That's it. Um, right. But what they, does they, they've usurped the term Christian and they're not Christian? I was brought up Episcopalian, and the things that I hear now are not Christian, as as George said earlier, the, or or you did. I don't know. Christ, I, I did. Christ, I did. Christ, I did, Christ and I'll say a respectful uh, amen to that. <laughs> the Good Samaritan, you know, and and right. well, anyway, that's it. I, I just can't stand that phrase anymore. So. Right. I'll yeah. say amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about Christian nationalism is, what is it? You know, is it? It's, something... a, it's an oxymoron, is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But does it mean that we shouldn't have Christianity in politics? Because I think that's what a lot of it takes. Well, it's I wish a we had political some... personal religion. Go ahead, George. I wish we had some Christianity in politics. I, I'd like to find some somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, see Abraham... any. Talk yeah. is cheap. I don't see any loving behavior. Yeah. Where do you see it? Well, I know Abraham Lincoln used scripture, and, and a lot of our politicians do, and sometimes we use scripture without even knowing it. Um, but if we can have people love their neighbor, welcome the stranger, treat the foreigner as one native born, lift up the lowly, um, send the rich away empty, then maybe we can have a more just, humble, and merciful world but it's in, that's in the behavior that's in the behavior welcome yeah. welcome the refugee uh, uh, treat uh, 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 tend to the needs of the poor work for injustice uh, <laughs> excuse me address injustice work for justice that's in the behavior and that's when the mindset changes that's when everything changes it's all about the behavior yeah. and Peter it, has go ahead Peter has a question. One last question. That's it. Let's um, bring Peter. Oh, not so much a question. I was just going to say, since you mentioned it, Jimmy Carter is a perfect template for what happens if you're a real Christian in politics. He got deep sixed. He was, I mean, he, the, the, the business with the Iran Contra and the hostages and all, they did him in with treachery. Uh, but he tried and tried to actually practice Christianity as a pre president. I'd never seen anybody do that before and maybe not since. It's, his failure sort of was in, very informative. I think Barack Obama did. He might have. Maybe he was 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was my comment. Sorry. All right. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, oh, Dr. Thank you You're welcome. Thank, thank you, Dr. Simon, so much for coming and doing this. Yeah. And I know and I rant and rave from time to time. You know, I get on my soapbox. Well, that's what we need because we need, we want, we put the soapbox there for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and um, look forward to our new event. Remember our next event, um, register at tinyurl.com slash America Not Racism for our next event, and look for our emails, and have a wonderful day-to-day. Um, -day. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you, George. Thank you. Bye-bye.